Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun and today's guest is Andrew Priestley. Andrew is a qualified business leadership coach and was ranked in the top 100 UK entrepreneur mentors 2017. He is the author of three best-selling business books and works with clients worldwide. Let's welcome Andrew. Thank you so much for uh, you know accepting the invitation to come on. Uh, oh, no, be good, be good, good fun. So yeah, let's let's begin with uh, Andrew. That people that don't know you, what you do, how you help people. I'm a business coach, and I specialise in business leadership. So I work with established companies globally, and invariably I work with the owner of the business or I work with the senior management team, and my clients have got big bases that they need to hit and a lot of goals that they need to achieve. And in my experience, if I work on the leadership piece, then they achieve their goals a lot bigger and a lot sooner. So a big part of it is the business development aspect of it, but equally a big part of it is um, leadership coaching. Right. Where we work with them as a leader, yeah. And, and you've been doing that since 1998, is that correct? Well, yeah, I've been, I've been a business coach since 1998, but I've run my own businesses since... Probably 1985, I suppose. Wow, okay. That's just a year before I was born. So, yeah, <laughs> you've been doing it for quite a long time. So, let's, let's go back to you know, that time. So, when did your journey start with, with business? It's really funny because I trained as a school teacher, right? Right. And um, when I was at university, they had a uh, – it was a new university and they wanted a new student newspaper and I helped create the new student newspaper. And in those days, it was, uh, you know, it was typesetting and cut and paste and all that sort of stuff. And it really, got in, it really got into the system. And I was studying reading psychology and I was also surfing and I was also playing in a band and stuff like that, right? And for whatever reason, while I was teaching, I was also doing a surfing newspaper and I was also doing a music newspaper. And what happened was that I started writing ads for people and I'd re- look at the ads that they'd put in there and I'd say, no, no one's ever going to buy off that because your ad's terrible. So I'd redesign the ads and the ads worked because yeah? of the reading psychology bit. understand how people read. Importantly, how they access information. And uh, I racked up 10 years as a teacher and I took three months long service leave and started an entertainment newspaper, actually went into competition with Rupert Murdoch, if you can believe that. Wow. And uh, Rupert Murdoch won. Just so you know, <laughs> I lost he won, and um, I had a situation where the, the the magazine just had exceptionally fast growth, uh, rapid growth, like you wouldn't believe, right? And you know, won awards and stuff like that. But I was working twelve to sixteen hours a day, seven days a week to make it happen, you know. And you know, we had probably, I don't know, 12 staff and Rupert Murdoch's publication had 63. So we were punching well above our weight. There was no business plan. And in the end, because of one circumstance and another, I made the decision to close the newspaper down, um, partly because I wanted to get my family life back, you know. Anyway, I foolishly resigned from teaching in that three-month period and started my own business. And after the newspaper had closed down, I started a really uh, family-friendly advertising agency because I discovered that while there was the entertainment side, I was still designing ads for people. Right. And I was really lucky that I met wonderful people like um, Jim Alexander and John Moffat, for example, who trained with David Ogilvy and Claude Hopkins and people like that, right? That, so that it's, it's, it's like that incredible pedigree of, of uh, who did you learn from? You know, Jim Alexander. And people say, what? You know, Jim Alexander, you know, he was an amazing guy. So I had some really good tutors and good mentors. And, and then uh, that little agency became a thorn in the side of someone and they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, which was to merge the companies. And then I started doing turnaround work and then I got headhunted to someone else and did turnaround work for them and built those agencies up. And, uh, I, and that's very condensed. But um, So each time we did them, you know, we exceeded the turnover targets. Uh, we created... We uh, had a very clear strategic direction. Uh, the business performance was off the Richter scale. Uh, 
operating efficiencies were really good. We had high-performing teams and a really good uh, communication culture. And people started asking, how would you do that? Can I have a coffee with you and talk to it? And a mate of mine said, I think you'd make a good business coach. And I said, what the hell is a business coach? He said, well, it's what you're doing, you know. <laughs> so uh, he made me an offer to go and train with him, and I did. And, um, and that's, how I got, that's how I got into business coaching. And, and I, I was very lucky because I went in at very high level straight away with very established businesses, and I knew what I was looking for. I knew how to read a balance sheet and a pre and L, and um, I know how to look, knew how to look at the numbers, and I still do. And um, so when I go in with a company, I can sort of, oh, okay, where are they going wrong here? Where's it not working? And I can, you know, I can view it from that perspective. And subsequently, uh, I should should have grabbed it before I even thought of it, but subsequently I ended up writing a book called Starting. And if you read this book, I promise you'll know how to look at your business the way an investor would, the way a VC would look at it. Right. And um, it, there's eight, eight key things that we look at. And, and anyone who's got a business and they think, you know, am I, what, what was this business, what were the assumptions that, they were based on and, and my whole business coaching career is looking at what are the assumptions that underpin your business and then stress test those assumptions. And so that book that book sort of, you know, shows you how to stress what are the what are the key questions you need to ask and what are the assumptions you need to test underneath it. When you do that, you get more of a holistic uh, thought about the business. And I base that on all the mistakes I made in my first business. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot that's sort of the long answer to that question. <laughs> And, and at no point, you know, did you have any um, reservations around writing or was that, did it come naturally to you or? Well, um, remember I'd worked in ad advertising, so I knew the psychology of reading. So I, I and Jim Alexander was a f- tremendous copywriter and I worked with good copywriters in the days when you got, this is just a little context for you, right? A little bit of context. On July 4th, 1984, which is well before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> a mate of mine rang me up and said, hey, Andrew, come and have a look at this. Come and have a look at this. And I said, what is it? And he, he said, oh, it's this thing called a computer because we used to do stuff on typewriters. And he said, have a look at this. It's an Apple Mac. Which is when the Mac was released, right? It's got a thing called PageMaker. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. God, you know, because what was, you know, if we wanted to do something, we would type it out and then we'd send it off to a typesetter. The typesetter would type it up and send it back and we would then cut and paste them. And he did all of that on a desktop. It was called desktop publishing. Right. And I thought, God, that's amazing. That's the death of hot metal right there. You know, so hot metal was typing, typesetting. Death of hot metal. I just said, there's the industry gone, just like that. But the really interesting thing when I was training in advertising was we had to get the message right. We had to get the proposition right. Um, because it was so expensive to get it wrong if you had to go back and retypeset it. So the way we were taught was get the words right, then get the images. And when desktop publishing came around, it said, let's make it look pretty and worry about the words later. And I really worry about people who've come through copywriting and design right now because they've always come at it from the visual to the words, from the visual to the message. But I was trained in the message to the, to the visual. And subsequently, you had to get the message right. So people are in a big rush to get stuff designed before they've worked out what's the proposition. You know, most propositions shouldn't be longer than 10 words short, you know, and, but the proposition is based on the idea of what, what is this going to do for me? That's what a customer thinks. What's this going to do for me? You know, what, what's in it for me? What's this going to do for me? Was and a lot of, driven, driven from the space of, uh, you yeah. know, psychologically 10 words are perfect or was it from the... Under 10 uh, words. Yeah, under 10 words or the mindset of, okay, we have limited space to advertise, so we need to make within 10 words. Well, most of us speak at about 8 to 12 words, a sentence. Right. So when I look at websites today, I looked at a website the other day that's written by a design company, 84 words in one sentence. That's not, I said, you know, that's why, I, that's why I say to people, you know, record your copy to an iPhone and listen back to it. Right. Because how it sounds. This is how we used to write copy. We would write the copy, then record it, and I still do. If I write copy for something, I still record it and listen back to it and say, I never say that. And the key thing that, you know, people like David Bowden and Jim Alexander taught me was, you know, write copy as if you are doing like we're doing, having a one-to-one conversation with someone over a coffee. Right. And um, forget the spin, just how would you talk to a mate? You know, how would you, 
because everybody I know has got really good stuff to sell. You know, they've got really good ideas, but what they think is they've got to, they think they've got to have an emotional bypass, a, a personality bypass, you know, where suddenly, yeah, this is amazing. You're going to love it, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not how you would talk to a mate. Sure. And so the copy was always very conversational and it was always like short sentences and it was always recorded and would I say that? No. Well, why would you put that in copy, you know? So, and I don't care where it is, we still, we still read stuff. We still look at words and we say, so a headline is, you know, if you can get the proposition across in under 10 words, over 10 words and you're really, it's like you're over-egging it, you're trying too hard almost, right? Yeah. Or it means you haven't thought enough about it. Think of it like this. When I was, again, I really... I worry about telling people history stories because people think, oh, he's an old guy and he doesn't do it anymore. Well, I'm still, I still do this all day, every day for a living, right? But, you know, we used to test stuff and you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got LinkedIn. You can test propositions. LinkedIn's very – I know there's video there, but they still read the, the bit underneath about whether they should watch the video, right? Yeah. And, and so, again, you can test propositions and it's wonderful. You can use something like Twitter or I use Twitter like yesterday I was testing. A, I've got a report that I put out on my website and I, was, I want to make those reports sell. So I'm thinking, what would I have to say to somebody would, that would excite them and would mean something to them? I'd say, yeah, I need to read that report in under 10 words. So I'm going split testing all these propositions to see. So yesterday I was doing some on the train. I'm coming back from London on the train. I'm uploading them. And this morning I got up, there was about three or four sales, which is better than one or two sales, you know. So that's the magic of words. When you get the proposition right, what's the proposition right? You know, what is it? And from the customer's point of view, you know. And so when I go in and look at businesses, I mean, I'm not just looking at their marketing, but I do look at their marketing, particularly if they say, you know, God, our frustration is we're not earning enough. We're leaving money on the table or we're not just, the revenues aren't there. So I naturally look at their marketing. I look at their social media. I look at what they're putting out in print. And if I get them to read it to their voice recorder and listen back to it, they go, God, why did we write that? That doesn't even sound like me. Right. And I've, what I've noticed a lot is that a lot of people that are starting moving away from their day jobs or, or, or want to start a business or have started a business, when they come from a marketing background, they yeah. seem to do a lot better than anybody else. Yeah. What's, what's your view on that? You know what? I might have an opinion on it, but I'd probably go for the research above everything because I know some tremendous marketers who are good at marketing other people's stuff and are absolutely hopeless at marketing their own things. They come up with incomprehensible marketing, you know, like digital marketers who can't explain what digital marketing is, you know, because they're too close to it, right? Marketing is a discipline. And, and for me, the foundation is the words and the proposition. And most people just don't know how to craft a half-decent proposition. But if I go even under that, right, this report, can I, I have to plug it. I've got a report on my website, andrewpriestley.com, and it's under resources. But there was a lot of research done by a guy called Jim Stengel, and you can read his book called Grow. And Jim was very interested in what companies grew between 2001 and 2015, I think it was, right? right. Particularly those companies who had double-digit growth during the global financial crisis. And I'm talking big, big companies, right? And so he got a, looked at something like 50,000 companies and shortlisted them down. And the shortlist were really, really just great companies, companies that you know, brand, household brand names, right? They were growing, right? And he then did analysis of their marketing, starting with their words, <laughs> right? So he's my vintage. What did I read? You know, what's the message they're telling me? And then he looked at, he interviewed staff and he interviewed customers and he interviewed colleagues and peers and competitors. And the thing that he found that ran through all of it was the companies that stand for something that are clear on their value outperformed every other type of business, right? And he identified five core values and they are joy, connection, discovery, respect, and impact. And those are fundamental core values that we respond to, right? And the thing is, if you don't know what your core value is for your business, it's very then hard, it's, it's, it's hard to craft a message that resonates with, with the consumer because Jim proved that 
customers, particularly now, uh, want to identify, uh, they buy from people that they can identify with and resonate with, right? Particularly if their core value is strong, right? So Disney is a joy business. It's where the happiest, you know, why not come to Disneyland? It's going to be amazing, right? So all their messaging is about why not. Right. And Starbucks is a connection business. You know, you know, that's why they have so much invested in the connection over the counter and they, they set it up so you can go and connect and sit, you know. Right. They're a connection business. Pizza Hut is a connection business, right? Skype, a connection business, right? And then Apple is a discovery business. How? How could I do this? How could I get? How could I get? Look, I've even got the old one, right? How could I get, you know, 303,000 songs on this little device? And people go, where'd you get it? I said, one. I've still had it when I first bought it, you know. But you know, Steve Jobs, what an amazing guy! He, he, how can we get your record collection on this? You know, discovery, exploration. How can you have total control over the music you want to listen to? You know, exploration, Mercedes. You know, why us? You know, we've been we've been at the birth of the automobile. Respect us, you know, Jack Daniels, 130 years worth of brewing. You know, okay, it's whiskey, but respect our thing. We've won every award that, that's ever been invented, you know. And then impact. So people like Accenture, um, Microsoft, Dent are brands that want to make an impact. And the question then is, when are you going to do this? Now, I was working with a law firm. Their marketing and their advertising says, no, we no fee. We will get them. We will chase them. We will do this, this, this. And I said to the, the senior management team, do you actually like your website? They said, no, we don't like it. What don't you like about it? It's, it's not us. It's too aggressive. So I said, okay, on this report I've got, there's a quiz. I said, everyone do the quiz separately and self-correct it because you can self-correct it and tell me what it came out with. So there's 11 partners. Right. And to a person, they all came out as connection. Wow. And like who could, we, who could, we, who could help you with this? Who do we know who we could on our team who can help you? Um, who's, who could you trust with something like this? They were very caring people, believe it or not, you know, if you can believe that of lawyers. But, you know, they're saying, you know, like, we want to give you the time. You, you know, if this is really important. You need to spend time with us, right? Mm. Connection values. And then I understood why they didn't like their website. So when they did, we did a little split test on LinkedIn using a connection-type message. Once they knew the value was connection, they then started connection-type messages. And suddenly the phones start ringing. Wow, okay. Because it's clear what you're up about. You're about connecting. Now, everybody's different, and the idea was Jim Stengel's book was great, but he didn't tell you which one's you. So you'll read the book and go, I wonder which one's me. You'll guess at it. Well, after I finished my teaching degree, I did an industrial organisational psychology de degree, and I majored in abnormal psychology and in psychometrics, and I learned how to build psychometrics. So I wrote a psychometric for, for that material. So you can take the test. This is me. So one of the lawyers said, well, I've come out connection, but impact is almost as close as well. I said, well, which one? Do you make an impact to connect or do you connect to make an impact? He said, oh, we, yeah, we connect to make an impact. Great. Dent makes an impact, right, so you can connect, you know, so you can contribute. They're all about let's make an impact. When are you going to do this? So the whole messaging is about when. There's an urgency to it, right? Are you sick and tired of just going through the motions with your business. You're sick and tired of not having enough money. You're sick and tired of working with the wrong clients. Are you sick and tired of, of, of being treated as an afterthought? You know, when do you want to fix this? Right? And when they got that messaging, see, they got the core value is impact. Yeah. But the messaging is about when and making a difference and contribution. And it goes through all of their marketing. So people know what they stand for and they resonate with the message. So subsequently, the people who turn up self-select on the fact that they want to make a difference. Right. Does this make sense? So right. once you know what your core value is and you know the core message, it becomes incredibly easy to market something because you know what you want to say. Someone, someone who's thinking of starting off, you know, a lot of people that go to Den, you know, especially uh, with the Thrasher <clears throat> program, are uh, obviously at the beginning of their journey. But someone who doesn't know about that and wants to begin and start thinking about uh, you know, I want to, a lot of people lack clarity. Yeah. Some, too many passions, some don't have enough. And a, a very good place I found out myself and a lot of other people is where they start with your values. What are your values? 
would you suggest that the five you just mentioned, it's other than what they have, have choose out of whatever values they come up with, the five values, yeah. include there, these as well? Well, there's your, more for your clients than you personally. There's your reasons for starting the business, right? Yeah. Actually, this, this, the goal of business is to make money. The purpose of business is different to the goal. So understand HMRC doesn't care about your purpose. They just care that you make money because they want taxes. So the goal, we know. Yeah. If you're any doubt about that, ring up the HMRC and say, what should I be doing? Make money. <laughs> but the purpose really taps into, why do I want to do this? So, and it doesn't have to be sexy. You know, like, for example, I have a client who really loves adventure, right? Yeah. And he wants to go snowboarding twice a year. So if his business doesn't give him two snowboarding, uh, four weeks a year snowboarding, why am I doing this, right? Where you get it wrong is where you think, I'll get the business working first and then I'll meet my needs. So we see this all the time, people who work all hours God sends them and they damage their health and relationships. They say, all oh, relationships are really important to me. And I went through that with my first business. If you recall, I had to come up with a family-friendly business because family is important to me. It's most, my most important goal. So I designed a business around my family so I could take my kids to school and pick them up. If I was starting a business and I was a totally thinking of leaving a job, don't leave your job, do lots of homework because you'll get, you'll get what Michael Gerber calls an entrepreneurial seizure where you've just got to get out and do it. And it's, it's tough out there, right? So if you're not prepared, there's the caveat. So the first thing I would suggest is that you, again, get your voice recorder and talk about and talk about and talk about and talk about why do I want to do this business? Talk about the business. Imagine that you've already been doing it a year and talk about what your business would look like and then listen back to that. Right. Right? Now, I can tell you stuff, but if you listen to you talking about it, it'll, have, it'll be much more powerful. So do that. Secondly, I would, without hesitation, I'd recommend everyone should go to the Prince's Trust website and download their business planning tool, which is impeccable. It's plain language. It's at a, like a year 10 uh, like a 10-year-old, 12-year-old reading language. Right. Uh, it's paced wonderfully. And any person, even if you're experienced coming out of corporate life, go to the Prince's Trust and look at their business planning tools. You know, Prince Charles gets a lot of stick, but, you know, it's people don't realise just the contribution that he's made to enterprise in this country is phenomenal through the Prince's Trust. You know, a lot of young people would not have got a start. A lot of people would have been discouraged. You know, th this is a guy who surrounds himself with the best people and he's put together something that's impeccable, right? So, you know, I don't care what, what you say about him. You know, I have a lot of respect for, for Prince Charles because of, purely because of that. He's, he's got a real heart for, for business people and for seeing things thrive. And so the tool had to be friendly for young people and I think his business planning is too. It's not as good as this, but it's pretty good. <laughs> right? For those people that are listening, he's talking about his book. The My book, yeah, starting. <laughs> but starting is pretty good because Prince Charles looks, he, the, the Prince's Trust looks at the, me, the mechanics of starting a business, but it doesn't stress test the assumptions underneath the key aspects. So the eight key aspects, just so you know, is what's the business concept? That's number one. Number two, who's this for exactly? Yeah. Who's my target? Who do I need on my operating team? That could be internal, external suppliers, but who do I need to help me do this? How am I going to go to market with this? What am I going to sell and the price points and the bandwidths and the, and the, the am I going to bundle it, unbundle it? I'm going to put it in stages. Will it wash its face? Do the numbers stack up? What's the predominant business model and what are the systems and processes and documentation that are required to stay on the right side of the law and profitable and those are the eight things that investors look at so if you watch dragon's den they don't do them in that order but they do those eight and i'd recommend as a as a third resource go on to amazon and look up dragon's den the dvds because you can buy series one two three four five whatever for yeah. 40p and it's the, best, it's the best 16 hours of television you're going to watch in your life if you're thinking of starting a business because you'll, if the more you watch it, particularly if you, if you can look at this and go, 
Oh, I see the eight key points these investors are looking at and then watch Dragon's Den. You'll suddenly, it's like you put a key in the lock and unturned it, open the door because you'll suddenly look at your business the way an investor would. And when I was what first saw Dragon's Den, I first came to the UK and I'm watching Dragon's Den, I just said, oh, yes, yeah, it's just a VC business plan, MOT. There wasn't anything special about it to me. I'm looking at, yeah, that's what I do. Right. What's so special about that? What was special about it is they throw money at it. In fact, my only comment about Dragon's Den is it's the most expensive way to get a business partner. You know, for goodness sake, I saw someone give away 49% of their business. Wow. You know, crazy, crazy, you know. However, they've got Im- impeccable contacts and the advice you hear is wonderful. And I say to people, you know, do your homework. You know, that's really, really do it. So, you know, this is what I found when I started my newspaper, right? I had a really good idea for a business, but I didn't have a good business for the idea. Sorry, say that one more time. I had a really good idea for a business, an entertainment newspaper, but I had a really bad idea for the business, a really bad business for the idea. So I knew what the idea was. I didn't know what the business structure was. Right. So... Of those eight ideas, the good idea for the business is only the first thing you need, but every, the other seven components is the business that supports the idea. So if you're doing a business plan, if you're reading starting, if you're looking at Dragon's Den, which is a really good condensed entertainment, but you're looking at it with your eyes open, you know what you're listening for, you'll learn a hell of a lot. And I encourage people, you know, rather than watching reruns on television, buy yourself Dragon's Den and, and just immerse in that over and over. And then use your voice recorder and say, what is my idea for the business? And talk it out again and again and again and again and record it and listen to it. Then go tell someone, here's my idea again and again and again until you build a narrative in your head for what this business is. And then what happens is is that you get incredibly smart at saying, I want to change the way the the UK drives trucks. I'm a, a fuel consultant. I've come out of, I've worked with the big oil refine, oil and gas companies where I was looking at fuel efficiencies. I was a consulting engineer for John Deere, their large truck divisions, and most truck drivers you know, waste a lot of money. You know, most logistics companies are wasting a lot of money. I can collapse your spend on fuel by 14 to 40%. I want, but I've got to change the way you drive trucks. And he says, well, like if this carbon thing, I, can, I want to change the way the UK drives trucks. That, there's the proposition. So they save a truckload of money. <laughs> right? And people say, how are you going to do that? See how live the proposition is? Yeah, it just comes alive. That only comes about but through talking it out. What are you up to, David? What are you trying to do? Oh, well, I'm trying to get drivers to be better drivers. And you know, how are you going to do that? By teaching different ways to drive their truck. Why don't you do the whole of the UK? Yeah, I'll teach the whole of the UK to drive trucks. If I could, why not? You've got YouTube. You mentioned an exercise about, you know, when we first did our concept day at yeah. dinner, and you mentioned about, you know, recording into your phone and talking and, and you know, the first few, time, first few times I did it, it was very awkward, but every time walking to the gym, I started recording, you know, yeah. something about that. It's almost like you, know, you having a one-to-one conversation with someone and telling them what you do and you get some feedback. By you yeah. doing that with your recorder and you hear, hear it back, you having this conversation with yourself and then at one point, when you get it right, you know it. You know this is a line. And it comes from, comes from the heart, then the, then the head of the mouth. Yeah. And it really is it's very powerful. So there's something about that. And, and I, can, I can say it 110%. That's one of the best, ex- best things you can do is just yeah. record it and listen to it. Mate, the mouth connects the brain to the heart, right? Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't discipline it a little bit, you come out with all sorts of tosh, right? But the thing is, if you're talking about my idea, and it's, it's got to be fundamental questions, of, what do I love about this idea? Why do I want this to work? Questions like that and talk it out, talk it out, talk it out, talk it out. And, but the thing is, we love this, as you've guessed, we love the sound of our own voice, right? Me, I'm, myself included, I'm guilty of that. You know? I, you know, I can eat an apple underwater through a picket fence and I can still keep talking, you know? But... We love the sound of our own voice, but the point is when you listen to your own voice, you know whether you're being honest with yourself or not or whether you're on the money, and you said it perfectly. There's a point where it just got it, got it, I got it, right? So I can give you, I can give you the strategies, but in talking your phone and listening back, you get the attitude that goes with that. You, you find the sweet spot. You find the, you find the juju. You find the, 
You ignite the burners, right? But you can also hear the doubt in your voice. Oh, I still haven't got it yet. Well, most people then say, oh, I'm not going to record that because it was too frightening. No, lean back into that. Why was I unsure? Ask that question. You know, what would my business look like two years from now? Play that. Because, you know, I, when I did my psych degree, I did the, psych, the psychology of achievement. The brain doesn't care what angle you come from, the future, the past. It really doesn't care the present. But the hardest place to come from is from the present moving into the future. The easiest place to come from is when you've already done something talking about it. Right. So just pretend it's two years from now and you've been doing it. It all worked amazingly. Talk that one out. Play that game. Right. If the mind, if the mind can see it, it can achieve it. Oh, yeah, and if the mind can feel it. Right. So, so for you, it's been, it's been quite a while you've been doing this. For, for someone that's starting out, what kind of – you have to be – I just read this, I read this recently. Um, motivation gets you started. Habits keep you going. Yeah. And that's very powerful for me. And what has been your you – know, you, you, you tell people that are getting into this, getting into business. Okay. Um, again, because I did a psych degree – yeah. A five-year psych degree in amongst all of that, right? I've got the Hippocratic Oath in there and I've got ethics drummed into me, right? Right. And I've got research drummed into me. You know, uh, The Money Chimp that I wrote, that was a book on money. You know, that I, I researched that four years and I read, you know, over 175 books and attended 43 courses and read oh. something like 385 websites before I was comfortable to put that out. This, the, the, the starting book, lots and lots of research went into that. So I'll give you the, the current best thinking that I've got on, what, on your question. Right? There's two factors. Um, if you want that are highly predictive of whether you'll stick with it and succeed. So you've got to get really clear. In psychology, you always ask, what's the one thing I'm trying to achieve? Right? So there's a lot of power in just that one thing. Well, uh, I did a thing called the sales profile. Can you sell? That's the one thing I want to know. The leadership profile. Can you lead? Well, in business, am I going to succeed is the question. Right. Am I going to succeed? Have I got what it takes to succeed, but am I going to succeed? Okay, so this is what the research tells us. There's two factors. Number one, you have to have passion. You've got to have a passion for what you're doing, right? And the trick here is that passion gives you the excitement and that motivation. But it, it's not often mentioned, but passion gives you direction, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm the chairman of a children's charity that, that provides therapy for children aged 4 to 12, and I have a passion for the welfare of children that have been abused, right? right? This will work. You got it? Right. I'm not taking no for an answer. It's an absolute abomination that in this country parents use their children for prostitution, for example. I'm sorry to get heavy on you here, but it's an absolute abomination, right? And those children don't get any support. That's why Clear Sky Children's Charity exists, to give them that, that, that therapy. If a child's seen a parent killed in front of them, Grenfell Towers, if they'd been in a car accident and a parent died, if they were bullied for whatever reason, because of their gender, because of their religion, because of their size, because of their sex, because of whatever... You know, those kids need therapy. They need some support. So you get the passion here. Yeah. But the direction is, and we've, in 12 months, we've gone from a very small charity to this year we're nominated for Charity of the Year and we're a UK-wide charity. That is only achievable by passion from the team. Everyone knows where we're going. We're a UK-wide charity. That's it. That was the goal. Right? Doesn't matter where you go in the UK, you'll know about us. That was the goal. That was the passion, right? The direction we're headed in. Right? For people starting out, it's we've got to crash through the 85,000 VAT threshold. That's the passion. Then we're going to crash through 300,000. Then we're going to crash through 2 million. Really clear bases because those bases are really well uh, documented in, in the UK economic landscape. 26.7, 50,000, 85, 120. 300,000, 2 million, 10 million, you know, they're really clear base marks. You've got to have a passion for that. That's where we're going. And HMRC says, make money. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> but you need that passion, right? But the second thing is perseverance. And perseverance is the determination to push through 
things like the eight key things that I told you, to really do your homework, the perseverance to stick at it when you feel you're not going to succeed, the perseverance to do the research, to read, to get your marketing, right? So passion and perseverance are really underpinned by direction and determination. So you've got someone who's got lots of passion but no determination or perseverance, it ain't going to happen. It's highly predictive, it ain't going to happen. If you're wishy-washy, right? And you've got very determined people who are persevering, but they're hanging in past good judgment, doing something they hate. There's no passion in it. There's no direction. Don't know where they're going. So those things, more than habits and motivation, are, you know, I wish it was something I invented, but there's so much research. Can, again, you know, Jim Stengel, 15 years worth of longitudinal research. Passion, perseverance, 30 years worth of research into this. You know, Carol Dweck, fixed versus... Uh, growth mindset you've got to have a growth mindset but underpinning growth is passion perseverance you won't have passion or persevere if you don't have growth in mind mm. so those would be the tips um, i can't make it any simpler for people but you've got to ask am i really fired up on this on a scale of one to ten where's my passion 12 <laughs> you know like i get up in the morning and i love what i do i love my job because i'm i am good at it but i've persevered I've read the books, I've done the study, I've done the research, I've talked to people, I've gone through the highs and lows. You know, over 27 years, you know, there are peaks and troughs. That's just business. But I haven't lost the passion for what I do. Because I I see lives change. Lives change, you know. I think that's the best bit about, you know, when you do your vocation based on, you know, something, something you love. Yes. The result of that, you know, every time you see a person's life change, your client's life change, the result yeah. deliver. Yeah. That's the motivation. That's the boost. That's the that's, real, that's the real reward for you. Yeah. Just before we close off, what's what's Andrew doing next? What's what's his big big mission? There's two. Number one, I have the time and the bandwidth to do the charity. Right. Right. That's definite. But I've got some really exciting things in the leadership space for people coming up. I really believe we need grounded leaders. We need, you know, this might sound on PC and it is what it is, but men have taken a lot of stick for the last 30 years, justifiably so. We've had the Homer Simpson generation where dads are stupid and I didn't grow up where dads were stupid. I grew up where dads were grounded and business leaders were grounded and they were honest and they had integrity and they weren't stupid. They had wisdom. They weren't playing at being a leader. They were a leader. And I believe there's, um, you know, I've worked in high-end compliance, life and limb stuff, where if you're playing around, someone will get killed, right? So that's straightforward. You know, you, you, you muck around on a mining site, someone's going to die or get injured permanently, right? Yeah. So I've worked in industries, hospitals, um, ICU units, mining, exploration, environment. Like, do you want to mess around with the environment right now? You, seriously? You know, like... How much more time, how much more warning do we need, you know? Right now we need men and women, we need really grounded leaders. We want leaders who say what they mean, mean what they say, and they stand for something really grounded in their values, right? We need stewards of the planet. We need stewards of business. And servant leadership is a wonderful thing. I really love that, but I think we need grounded leadership. We need people who they're not pretending to lead, they are leading. And that's where I'm going next. I want, I've, got, uh, I've proven this for the last 27 years when I do leadership coaching where people go, my God, this guy's just brilliant. This is a person I would want to follow. That's what my clients say. They, they can't, their staff say, I don't know what you did to Pete, but gee, he's amazing. He's really good. He's a great boss. You know, and I've always thought, who would I love to follow? See, here's a bit of homework for everybody. Who do you admire that you would be prepared to follow? You know, what is it about them that you'd say, I'd want to follow that person, right? What are they doing that you'd say, I'd really want to work with them and follow them? That's where I want to go next. That's where I, I want to come up with a piece for the world on leadership. And it's, it, it addresses the obscenity of war and it addresses the obscenity of abuse to children, of people who just, you know, we, we, we're running out of bandwidth for self-centeredness. We haven't got the luxury of that. We really haven't. We've got to really... People have got to be pulled up a little bit. And leadership is the thing that will have a lot to do with that, you know. And do those leaders have to change the world? No, they change their world. So when I walk down this country lane down here, I pick up litter. 
Does it impact anyone? Certainly saves a lot of the little natural animals around here because they're not chewing plastic and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, people drive down there and say, oh, it's a lovely village. Why? Because some suckers out there cleaning it up. And then other people I see go down when they walk with a bag, they pick up litter now. So if you can't change their world, change your world. Your world might be your family. Do the right thing by your family. Lead your family. You know, those sort of things. That's the big mission. Let me ask you this. Yeah. This has been a great chat. What did you get out of it? Where do I begin? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something. You said earlier on about, about passion and, and, and uh, build a business, a family. You, you built a family-oriented business, right? You know, when I, was, when I, want, when I was wanted to get away from a corporate life and started doing this, uh, I, I had those three circles, right? Passion, love, and, and profit. Yep. And, and my passion was I want to work with people. Yeah. And uh, I always wanted to help people find that purpose because I've seen, having worked as a consultant, a freelance consultant, worked in so many places, people I sat next to had done masters or degrees and here I am who's just dropped out of school. None of them seemed happy. Yeah. Just they're mostly there for the money or it was convenient, too comfortable to leave, you know, all those reasons. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to really help. You know, I, and I, I suffered through it. You know, the 10 years yeah. I did it, did it. I hated almost every single day of it. Yeah. And again, my reason was to stay, stay there for the money. So I said, I'm going to build something which is going to allow me to connect with people, influential people, people I look up to, and have these conversations. Yeah. And this has allowed me to do that. So that's yeah. my mission number one. If Had you said, let's do this three o'clock in the morning, I'd be ready. Yeah. Right. Do, you know, do you know, you've raised a really good point there. And it comes under that umbrella of purpose, right? When people go to work, Clinically, we call it they go to work for the hygiene factors and hygiene is the amount of money they get paid and the hours and the perks. That's what we call hygiene, right? And, then, and hygiene, no matter what job, I'm not talking about wash your hands, I'm talking about the clinical hygiene is, is what is the thing that makes me go to work, it's that, that lures me to work and keeps me there. Well, it's the pay packet. That's called the hygiene of the job, right? Yeah. But I've seen working for a charity, people who are on no pay, who come in and they give their all. Why? Because the purpose is clear, right? Yeah. The difference is let's give them a purpose and like you, it's get clear on your values, get clear on your purpose, but be profitable. I'm not allergic to money. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other one, was, other one was that, you know, speaking to uh, meeting my mentors or meeting influential people, learn mm -hmm. from them. You know, we are coming to a point now, we are learning from looking at Instagram, looking at, and I got into that cycle as well when Facebook first came out. You see these people, you know, with nice flashy cars. They have, you know, the nicest clothes. And that's what I did. I spent my money on things like that. Nice shoes, nice things. And yeah. then a month, I had nothing in my account. I'm like, I'm earning so much and I have nothing. I was chasing the wrong thing. Yeah. Now I'm chasing, I'm talking to, I'm having conversations with people I like, people that are ideas, have value to add. And then I can take that and I can share that with others, you know, yeah. my clients and my people. I can travel around the world and I can, I can yeah. speak in and I can share my truth. And that's, that is so fulfilling. Yeah. That's, that's a 12 for me out of 10. Yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. So find your purpose. Find your purpose, you know. Find your happy thought. Find your happy thought, you know, that's the thing. What's, what's the thing that lights you up? What's the thing that gives you Mac 2 with your hair on fire? You, you know, you know, you're going so fast, you're enjoying life, you know. Yeah, good luck to you, mate. Good luck to you. That's great. I like what you're doing. I really like you, what you're doing. Um, I would say this. If you're listening to this podcast, give feedback. Tell them, let us know how you're interacting with this. Let us know how it's changing your life. It's not enough just to hear stuff. Let us know what you did with this. You know, that's, that's the magic. Give us the testimonials. Give us the feedback. Let us know what lit your life up, what, what changed for you. Because that then gives you fuel to keep doing what you're doing. When you suddenly people say, wow, yeah, I started to get a glimpse of my purpose now. Because what you're saying is you're challenging people to dig deeper again. And, you know, we've come through a, a time of where things lack substance. And I'll, I'll finish on this point. Yale have a wonderful course that anyone can do for free called The Science of Wellbeing. Right. And it's a course you can do. It's a 12-week course. It has the same academic rigor as any other course. It's free. You have to submit assignments. You've got to do the work. You've got to prove that you're doing the work there. But the th one takeaway that got me was what we think makes us happy 
invariably we are very bad predictors of what we think will make us happy. And one of them is things like the right face, the right body, the right bank account, the right amount of money. Those things are hygiene factors, right? What makes us happy is connecting with people, finding our passion, finding our purpose, making a difference, those things. They, they fire out long after the, the toy that you bought wore off. You know, isn't it interesting, if I buy a new car, I could show my car, look at my new car, look at my new car, yeah, it's great, you know. If I talk to you about how excited I was about thinking about a new car, we can have conversations like that forever. Oh, yeah, I would love to do that too. See, we're connecting, right? Yeah, Andrew, I must share this with you, right? Because my, yeah. journey, my, my, my journey began in Australia. Yeah. So, so I was about, um, when I first started, about 17, 18, started my career in, in IT, I was, I was a permanent employee. And then I went to become a freelance consultant. I did that. So as the money went up, my happiness went up. And then came a point where I hit a glass ceiling and that was it. And I was like, I bought, by the age of 22, I had, I had the car, I had the house, all for my own money. And I was doing really well compared to my, my peers who my age were still doing degrees or finished some of them, finished their degrees or dropped out, were working in, in, in menial jobs. And um, so I was like really, really down. I was really depressed for some reason. I had all, everything I needed, but I was really depressed. So having this conversation with a friend and he said, if you haven't traveled, you haven't lived. And I'm like, here is this person, me, who's so uh, set in a routine and, and, and in a cycle that didn't realize this, right? And I didn't travel much before that, unless it's with family or friends, you know, going here and there for a weekend or a couple of days. I, I said, he said, you should start with Australia before you're 30, because you can get this working holiday visa after 30 is very difficult. So I, 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 I'm telling everyone now, I've, I've booked my tickets, I've done everything. And um, I'm, this is about nine months before I'm telling the whole world I'm going to be going to Australia for one year, then I'm going to go to New Zealand, then Europe, then America. I'm going to be traveling for five years and I'm going to meet people. I'm going to do this. I go to Australia, right? And just before my family's upset, everyone's upset, like, oh, he's going to leave and, you know, he's not going to be back for a while. I went to Australia, came back in four days. <laughs> came back home in four days, right? And, and before leaving, I was thinking of doing this NLP course, which will help you master your emotions, do this and that. Talking about destiny and purpose and mission, right? I went there after four days. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. And I stayed in my hostel room for four days. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. And I'm, I'm pacing up and down, up and down. And the guy's reception goes, are you feeling okay? Are you on drugs or something? And I'm like, no, I, I can't sleep. I'm panicking. I'm, I'm, I'm alone. I, I have no clue what to do. And on the last day, I went out to McDonald's five o'clock in the morning, sat down. I started to cry my eyes out. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to feel like this ever again. I booked my ticket, went back home. Now on the way home, I'm thinking of all the excuses I'm going to make to tell the world why I came back. You know, you know, and it's going to be embarrassing. I sit down, I, I open my laptop. And, and by this point, I've, I, the money I had was transferred into Australian accounts. So I couldn't get them back in time. And they're still there. I can't get it out until I go, uh, uh, until I go back to the next time. And then I, I saw that NLP course and I'm, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to book it. I'm going to go on it. Paid with my credit card, went on it and, and then regretted it, you know, after a week. So, oh God, I, I didn't have the money. Why did I book it? I called them up. They said, sorry, we can't cancel it, but we can postpone it. So I was meant to go within two weeks. I didn't, I left it for six months until I found a job, but I still had to go anywhere. I couldn't get the money back. I went to that. I saw Dr. Richard Bandler. And I saw him help people. And I was like, wow, that's, that's what I want to do. And that was seven days. I said, seven days is not enough. I need something bigger. I need something more in depth. And I did my one course after the other. And that's where my journey began. And, you know, I started coaching people and, you know, um, until I found Dent. And I said, I know all of this other side. I know the coaching and I know I can coach. I've got good feedback. I know what to do. But I don't know the business side of things. I need to learn that. And, and you know, I came across Dent. I came across... Uh, came across Daniel's work, but I was like, nah, the guy is too, bit, too cheesy, is a bit too much for me. Uh, but eventually I, I saw him at one of the events and I was like, you know what, this might be the guy to help me, you know. And I, I signed up for, 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 the, for, the, for his course and I was like, wow, you know, first, first one in, you're the first person I meet. Uh, sorry, I met him at an event and I went to the event, the wrong event because it was about getting leads. And I was like, I don't even have a I don't even have an idea of what to do. So getting leads or what, how do I, how do I begin? And then I, I told Daniel, this is my situation. What do I do? And he said, come on to this program and it'll help you. You know, 
you have been on a journey, you have been on a big journey and you've created some bases and nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted because five years from now you'll remember that story, bang, which will add add to the add to the game even more so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean yeah. I was when I came back and you know I was like I was so angry, I said one day this Australia is gonna is gonna invite me. Australia is going to invite me. <laughs> I'm not gonna go there, I'm gonna get yeah. invited to go there. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna be in that position and, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Things, things are looking good. Yeah, yeah. I think that'll happen. I think that'll happen. And you sort of like, you know, think about it. You're putting in the hard yards. You're talking to people. You know, you, you're creating good, you're building neurons for success. But, but the heart of it, you know, you've got the, the heart to help people. You know, Bandler, Bandler helped people, but he did more than that. He gave them distinctions where they could help themselves. I mean, Bandler is just a master of that, you know. My hero was Milton Erickson. You know, he was just yeah. phenomenal, you know, just absolutely phenomenal. Just the way he could reframe something. You and I could have lots and lots of chats about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. It's been, it's been wonderful talking to you. Yeah. If anybody wants to find out more about Andrew, go to andrewpriestley.com. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Just yeah. Connect with Andrew. He's super amazing in person. Have a conversation. He doesn't bite. If you're running a business, successful six, seven, eight, eight-figure business, contact Andrew. He can really help you. Yeah. Starting a business, he can give you great advice. Grab his book, The Money Chimp, Mine's in the Post, coming soon. I'm definitely going to be reading. <laughs> How many books have you written, Andrew? More, over 10, I think? Um, I've, I've, I've written three myself, but I've, authored, uh, I've curated something about 18 books now. So. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. and you can find me on LinkedIn. If you're really stuck, just go LinkedIn. I'm on there. So. Yeah. He's very generous with his yeah. time and with his, with his advice. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, make sure you have a very important question when you contact him. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, yeah. thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Thank you for your time. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazzbearaurora.com, that's www.jazzbearaurora.com, and drop me a line. I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also um, go and take the Escape the 95 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.